0: Welcome to the ACOFPDO.FM podcast Women in Leadership Series, a production of the American College of Osteopathic Family Physicians. Hello, and welcome to the ACOFPDO.FM podcast Women in Leadership Series. My name is Nicole Bixler, and I serve as your ACOFP president, and it is my honor to be with a highly decorated and well thought of leader in our profession, Dr. Carol Henwood. I'm gonna ask Dr. Henwood to tell us a little bit about where she is at this point in in time in her job and what she's doing. And then we're gonna get into some questions with her today. So Dr. Henwood.
1: Hi, Nicole, it's great to be here with you. And it's my honor to be being interviewed by our current president who is Amazing, and we're also proud to be members of the ACOFP during her presidency. Um, I am a practicing family uh, physician in Southeastern Pennsylvania. I work for Mainline Healthcare, which is one of the uh, larger health systems. I work in Mainline Healthcare Family Medicine Royers Board, which is a three uh, DO uh, um, provider sites, all women. So we feel proud that, that uh, we can work well together and all of us being osteopathic family physicians, I practice the same high quality hands-on uh, holistic medicine that, that we've all been trained as DOs. As uh, I serve on several committees uh, in the health system. I am the advisor for the Pennsylvania Osteopathic Family Physician Society which is the ACOFP state chapter And I also serve as uh, the vice president of the uh, ACOFP foundation. And we are involved in um, significant activities, trying to uh, promote our osteopathic distinctiveness. And I'm a mom uh, of a uh, osteopathic uh, critical care specialist who actually is in Florida. And so uh, I uh, worry about him and he as a critical care uh, guy working in in the, the COVID units, but anyway, busy, um, but love to get up every day and go to work. And I think after 35 years, that's probably a a good thing to say about about, uh, your current job.
0: Yes, those are a lot of jobs that you hold. It's almost like having four jobs, not just one, uh, which is common for women in medicine uh, and certainly for family physicians as a whole. I happen to know a lot about your history and a lot about you, but not everybody listening to this will. So could you tell us what led you specifically to choose a career in osteopathic family medicine?
1: Well, first of all, I'm from an osteopathic family for the osteopathic portion. My dad went to a PCOM I did my brother and sister, all are osteopathic physicians. So when it came time to choose what kind of doctor I wanted to be, osteopathic medicine was the only uh, uh, pathway that I could think of. Um, From a family medicine standpoint, I actually went into to, uh, uh, PCOM thinking I was gonna be a radiologist because I was a, f- a physics major in, in college and I just figured, wow, that would be great. I knew all the ins and outs of it, but, but I, I liked so many things. I loved OBGYN, I loved pediatrics. I for a while thought I might do uh, hematology oncology, but the bottom line was that I knew that as a family physician I could have uh, impact on patients' lives from nursery to 103. That's my oldest patient is now 103. Um, But also uh, have uh, relationships among uh, all sorts of generations in the family and would feel very satisfied because room in to room out, it would be a different challenge going going into into taking care of the patient. And I, I felt so happy over the years to really have made a difference um, in a lot of patients' lives. And I uh, can just give you an example from today. A, a gentleman called and he had had a bunch of tests done from his pulmonologist. And he said, now, what do you think? Um, you know, as far as should I do this or should I do that? And so, you know, people get to know and respect you and, and want to know what you would want them to do. He said, I, he said to me, I trust you with my life. And so uh, it's been very gratifying to, to um, have a career in osteopathic family medicine. And I think the way osteopathic family physicians approach things is we, we know so much about so much and, and that we, we care about our, our patients. And so people appreciate that. So I think it was just the, the variety, but also knowing from my, my interactions with, with other family physicians in my training, that this would be what I would want to do day into day, into day out. And Luckily over all the years, it's been, it's been a truthful experience.
0: Well, that, that is fantastic. And I thought I did know a lot about you, but I did not know that you considered radiology and boy, your talents would not have been used well enough <laughs> sitting in a dark room because you wouldn't have had all those great experiences you just mentioned. So we are glad that family medicine drew you in. So for those who don't know, uh, we, Dr. Henwood has served in this role that I'm serving in right now as the ACLP president. And she was the third female to take that role and a great mentor to me. And she has been such a strong advocate for the ACOFP. I wanted to know, what do you love most about the ACOFP?
1: So in preparation for speaking with you, I was thinking about that. And and I think it's the ACOFP family, the people that I've grown to know and love and had the, the privilege of working with. And with the great knowledge that in times of difficulty, there were so many people standing right behind me. So if you recall um, in my presidency, we had to get our grips around the single accreditation system and had concerns over what it would mean to osteopathic training, osteopathic distinctiveness, and where, and osteopathic training programs um, would what would happen to them as we began uh, to down this road? And so, uh, my dear friend Kevin Dayrinier and Ronnie Martin and people who who, um, when it came time for me to stand up uh, representing the organization, they were right there, and I I could talk with them ahead of time, and they I had their support. And ACLP staff was amazing, uh, helping you know to navigate that that air that area. But uh, I think that even today, you know, if I um, need, if I need something, I know I can either call staff or call my ACLP colleagues and say, what do you think about this? Or can you help me with this? And never is there a question that somebody doesn't say, I, uh, I will, I, sure, what do, what do you need? I can help you. And, and I think too, that we've are in the process of developing people to come behind us um, that's one of the, my things about being the advisor for the state society. With, with lots of new people on the board that are ACOFP members, and they want to give back. And I think that's that's part of our culture with ACOFP is we we instill in people that there you that as an ACOFP member, it's not only a right to be uh, be serving, but it's a privilege, and it comes with responsibilities that. That you, it's this is what you need to do, and put you know we put ACOFP first, and it's it's just a great family to be in. So I, I think, long story short on that one, but but you know you're it's a privilege to work with people who are like-minded and love the ACOFP just as much as I do, and that's why it's such a great uh, privilege to be continuing on in in other leadership roles and and trying to instill that same uh, philosophy and people coming behind me.
0: Well, that was fantastically said. I'm not sure I have any more questions, but no, I'm just kidding you. Uh, uh, you, You have such a number of things that you've done for family medicine, this organization, for women, for your patients, for your family. But if you had to pick out something, what do you think you would say at this point in your career? Because we know you still have many great things to come. What's been your greatest accomplishment? (laughs)
1: <laughs> That's a really good question too. Um, I, well, as you know, um, during my tenure on the board, we really were involved in trying to uh, move family doctors into the, the arena of, of quality, quality parameters and quality uh, care and knowing how to get reimbursed for the quality of care that we de- deliver. And that's that was a, a thing that I, I often said, is we deserve to be paid for the quality of care that we delivered. And because so many uh, um, ACOP members in so many different practices, so we have the solo family doctor in Iowa, we have somebody that works in a healthcare system like I do, we have people in education, we have people in uh, in all sorts of different uh, 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 subsets of internal medicine, urgent or internal medicine, family medicine, urgent care, occupational health, those kind of things. But the, the, the thing that was the same in all of those is that today we have to demonstrate quality metrics and we have to know how to work in the environment that allows us to get our, our Medicare dollars, to get our quality bonuses from the, from the managed cares. And so I think I was instrumental. Even though in the end we didn't have a unique quality metrics program, but I think we brought people along in how to navigate that and how to know, do transitional care medicine and, and, and how to do, you know, again, all the different things that, that we have to do today. You can't, it's long gone are the days that you, that you can't be submitting your quality metrics. And, and I do think that I was, um, again, very instrumental in bringing the organization along. Um, in in that and I you know I always loved being involved in the uh, primary care initiative in Washington. So uh, it it was one of the things that I still look back on and say we did good there. And people today are still knowing how to code, how to do those things. So I think that was one of my my uh, greatest achievements was was to do that. Very good. What
0: going a little bit of a different direction in a more narrow focus on uh, women in medicine. What challenges do you feel that you have faced as a woman in medicine?
1: I I think if we go all the way back to PCOM, (laughs) um, I think in my class, we had 204 people and we had 42 women. Mm -hmm. And the way the the thing started is that there were a number of us that were chosen to take turns being the class president and then at the end of the day they had voting for who, to, who would they want to be a class president and and I didn't win um, but I one of the reasons I think I didn't win is that the, the I don't know that that the environment was there that women could be you know leaders today with more than 50 percent of the classes being being women uh, I think that that and I've, I'll quote this from one of the uh, educators at PCOM is, and I said, "Look, all the officers of the ACOP student chapter are women," and and the gentleman replied, "Yeah, women are taking over the, the sandbox, and boys don't like to play that much." <laughs> I said, really, you know, <laughs> but but I think that that it that now there's not a question that women can have uh, leadership positions, and so hopefully uh, in some of the the things that I've. Taken on in challenges, that that it, it was my opinion that I could do anything that that I wanted to do. And it maybe took a little more uh, standing up and saying, no, I, you know, I think that's not black and white, it's gray, because I think women bring that gray tone to meetings. And, you know, I wasn't afraid to be the only woman around the table in, in times when I was. And then pretty soon there were two women around the table and then three. And so I'm. I'm. I think that hopefully through some of the pioneer things that I did, that that Jan D- Zierin did, that Mary Burnett did before me, that you know women have a play a good place at the table, and we should bring, you know, bring more more women along. And I think you know on our ACOP board there's there's a number of women, and and you know I think there hopefully be more women. Not that we should take we should take the best person for. For leadership positions, but thrilled to see that many women are the best person to be presidents of of the colleges, to be provosts, to be deans, um, because the, you know that we bring a special talents uh, when we come. and And I think we also, just as you juggle with your children and with your your practice and with the ACOP, we can give good examples on how you can have a lot of things going and still do all of them very well.
0: Well, I could not agree with that more. Yes, I believe we are the masters of multitasking and we do it quite well. And certainly sitting in my position now, I I did not have that same scenario of only being, you know, the underrepresented chromosome in the class. I, I, wa- I was at the point where we were 50-50, but I certainly, there was still a, a change of the leadership. And so it's fantastic that I've had people like yourself and those you mentioned, Dr. Zirin, and I never got to know Dr. Burnett, but that have paved the way for people like myself to be able to do what we're doing. And that hopefully in years to come, it won't be such a uh, something we have to point out like, oh, she's the first of this, or she's only this. It'll just be and like you said, the person who's best for the job all the time. So, so what advice do you have for future generations, the next generation of leaders in osteopathic family medicine. Like what, what would you do to get from maybe point A to point B and what advice could you give to those doctors who want to be involved?
1: So I think one of the biggest things is having a mentor and a woman mentor uh, or, or a, a male mentor um, are good, but having a mentor that's been down that road and can say, you know, I think this is how I would, and, and feel free to reach out to them and say, I think this is how I, I would handle that. And so uh, right now I'm co-chairing a, a, a committee with the, um, the POFPS board, and, but I'm pushing forward my co-chair, but hope ha- I hope I'm giving her some insights. This is how I would do it. What about this? This is how we have to have this timeline. And, and so you know finding someone who, is there for you just to help you navigate the some of the pitfalls that I probably made myself, you know, I fell in, but I don't want people to come behind me to to fall in. I, I would say go with your passion. I mean, cause you have to have passion to get you through some of those those uh, tough times and maybe set out what would be your strength. So if we have to go back to what I was saying about quality management, uh, that, that was my strength. That was my love and, you know, try to get on all the committees and try to represent the SCFP And I spoke at the, at the primary care collaborative in Washington about quality. And, and so you get to have somewhat of a reputation that you, of what you, what you want to do and just run with it. You know, I, I think it, it does uh, require support from your family life at home because you want to go to Chicago and go to a meeting, you know, instead of being home on the weekend. But, but I think, if you end up with the right family, they realize that they want you to be happy. And so going to Chicago is, is okay, you know, on, on, and, and, you know, and, and doing those things. I think I would also say uh, that, that to, you have to be a little fearless. You have to be not afraid to stand up at the AOA House of Delegates and, and say, I represent the ACLP and this is what, my my and my my colleagues and those that have joined us want to say but then Nicole you'll appreciate this not not to you know when you when you sit down and you say okay this is not what i have to what how i might have wanted this to come out you have people that will stand right in front of you and say she's not speaking about this right now (laughs) because you have to compose yourself to do it so you know what takes a village it takes a village of women because and I've talked have told this many times. I could never thank you enough because you came right back to me, probably realizing that I needed to compose myself I and mean, were going to stand right in front of me, not to have people come up to me like that. And, but you knew that, that as a woman and as that, that I, you know, I might need a little time there. So, you know, it takes a village, surround yourself by like minded women who are strong and fearless, like you are. And, and in a time when maybe the fearlessness is, has a, has a crack in her voice that someone will be there to uh, to say that you know it's okay and and you can come back another time for an interview <laughs> or whatever. So yes,
0: you're you're right. That was the that was a, a a moment that I don't I know I'll never forget. Obviously, you never forget a, a, a good bonding moment between two females. To that you're right. It it often takes one to know one to know what that yeah. moment meant to you to the ACFP to family medicine and how as women, we sometimes, we do wear our emotions on our sleeve. I think it's a good thing, but sometimes it's not always viewed that way. And we try to keep that, like you said, fearless exterior, but sometimes even at our very best, that just needs to, to break a little bit. And so it's nice to have somebody there to have your back. And so it, it was uh, my honor to do that because that was a that was good for me to be in that role and to watch that experience, to watch a truly fearless woman leader stand up in front of 700 people and say exactly what needed to be said uh, for on behalf of our profession. So it's wonderful memory for me, too. So, you know, I knowing knowing you for some time and I, I, I couldn't let this interview go without uh, I didn't know how to phrase it in a question, but I'm going to gonna get it out of you one way or another. Uh, <laughs> for those of us who know you really well, there was another hallmark of your presidency that I think you said it the first time either in your your presidential speech or whatever it is but you you had a tagline that has stuck with you and many people will always remember you for so you you have to give us your your tagline so what
1: was that Dr. Hendley well i it was something that just came out of me one day so heartfelt and I decided that I was just going to end every speech uh, with it, and and it was that today is November 18th, 2020, and if you ask me, I will tell you that there's never been a better day to be an osteopathic family physician, and if you ask me tomorrow, I will say today is November 21st, excuse me, November 19th. 2020 and it's still never been a better day to be an osteopathic family physician. And and it's because of all of the the lives we impact, of all of the things that we're able to do, of all the relationships that we can look back on. And and I truly believe that. And I hope that other people have that same feeling because it some days are tough. It means you know, on some days when people are all half of your patients say they can't do this COVID thing one more day. And you have to dig down and inspire them to say, yes, you can, and here's the ways you can do it. And we'll look back on this together that we made it through, even though you're, you know, you might not think, saying to yourself, I can't do this COVID thing one more day, but, but you get strength because you know that your profession has, has given you the, the tools that allow you to be there for other people and to make a difference. And I have a friend that says, go save lives. And so you might be saving lives in a little way by just, you know, helping people to to get through that day when they seem like they can't do with this covid thing or whatever it is. They can they, you know, their mother is, is on hospice or, you know, they've lost their job and they just don't know what's what and and it in in helping people to to get through that day, you realize that there's never been a better day. To be an osteopathic family physician today, tomorrow, the next day, next year, there'll never be a better day to be an osteopathic family physician. I think
0: that's so telling because of in my mind of thinking of that, how um, effective that line was, and you are correct, you ended every important speech and statement meeting was always with that, and now I think of today, and one of the things that you were heading up and doing so wonderfully for our profession is your work with the ECFP Foundation. And to me, I think there's such a connection of the Forging Our Osteopathic Future campaign and your tagline that not only is today, but like you said, tomorrow and the next day and every day after is going to be the best day to be an osteopathic family physician. So I wanted to give you a moment just to tell us a little bit about what that campaign is and how your work and those on the foundation are really ensuring that for our profession.
1: Well, it's again, such an honor to be working with the foundation and and the forging our osteopathic future campaign. About two years ago now, when, when those of us on the foundation board said, look, we've got to revitalize the foundation, what can we do? And so we came up with the idea that we could be impactful in the future osteopathic uh, physicians by helping them to pay for their board certification. They arrive at the end of their residency with significant debt. And we also knew that there there would be a potential opportunity for them not to take osteopathic certification boards and not to take the practical that certified them in osteopathic manipulative therapy and osteopathic principles and practices. Third, looking back on 35 years, the, the power of touch that comes from doing OMT and or the osteopathic philosophy is so impactful that we wanted to make it easier for them to do it. And so we've set out uh, on a $2 million capital campaign, uh, raising money that pays for taking the written and taking the practical and travel expenses to the practical. And in our first year, we we gave 101 grants to those osteopathic third year residents who's, who needed help in, in taking and in, in meeting the financial requirements to uh, take it, take the osteopathic boards. And we see it as a dual thing. We see it as a survival of our, our profession because we want people to continue to take those boards. And we see it as bringing people into the profession, bringing these young, talented, People who will have so much to, to um, give to the osteopathic family medicine uh, organizations and the profession, bringing them in with us with a say, with a thing, we are there for you. We know that you'll be great. And here's a hand up to, not a handout, here's a hand up to making uh, those, those um, the, the, these boards uh, more, more doable. I look at it when I talk to people about giving money. So I have my hand out for a hand up for these young residents that this is the one thing that you can do to uh, promote our profession. It's not, it's you individually by your gift can help. And, and I, I think that that goes a long way. I said, you know, because people helped us maybe not with as much dollars, but people helped us and when we needed it in, at times in our profession. And not only does the profession need us, but these young people need us. And so it's been a great honor and we've got great partners. We've got a lot of people, not only uh, members of the ACOFP, but industry members, uh, the college, the comms, uh, that, that everyone realizes that now is a critical time in osteopathic family medicine, in osteopathic medicine in general. I mean, we need to preserve our profession and we are we are, we are. And so we're, we're uh, in the final stages of the uh, campaign, and we are waiting to give our next uh, number of grants uh, out. And so I think, I think it's apprecii- appreciated by the residents, but I also think people get a, a warm fuzzy <laughs> in, in their insides that, yes, I did something personally to preserve osteopathic medicine, and most importantly, to preserve osteopathic family medicine. So it's been great and we're still working hard and I hope that we'll continue to get more and more commitments uh, for people to give their money, um, their hard earned money. And we know how hard it is to, you know, with COVID and everything, it's our hard earned money but people are willing to give that money because they know it's important. You're right, it's
0: a fantastic program. And I would draw the analogy that that's yet a different uh, power of touch, as you said. So that's a power of a touch of, not only taking your osteopathic skills and your leadership skills and 35 years of experience, but making sure that our profession sustains itself. And those residents are very fortunate for the efforts of yourself, the entire foundation, and all those have committed to that great cause. So we we couldn't be more thankful for that. Well, it certainly has been my honor to be able to talk to you today, as you are certainly been one of my mentors and I have done just such fantastic things for our profession. I couldn't thank you more. I just wanted to give you an opportunity if there was any last words or anything else that you'd like to say before we end our conversation today.
1: It's been wonderful um, to share this time with you. And as I said in the beginning, I couldn't be more proud to be an, a member of the ACOFP with you as our president and we're, you're doing amazing things and the, the organization will only be better for everything that you have done. And thank you so much for everything that you do.
0: Well, thank you very much. My pleasure. And thank you to our our staff for doing this interview with us today. Thank you all. And we'll see you with our next uh, podcast series. The ACOFPDO.FM podcast, Women in Leadership series is a production of the American College of Osteopathic Family Physicians. To
1: learn more about ACOFP, please visit www.acofp.org.
0: Interested in learning more about the ACOFP Education and Research Foundation's initiatives and ways you can support the future of the osteopathic profession? Visit www.acofpfoundation.org or email foundation at